Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to a crossover edition of both Locked On Ravens and Locked On Dolphins. Kevin Ostraker here of Locked On Ravens with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. Thank you so much for tuning in here today, making both Locked On Ravens and Locked On Dolphins your first listen of the day are free and available on all platforms. That includes over on YouTube and today's episode of both Locked On Ravens and Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to ten times your money on your entry. First-time users, you're gonna receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com. Promo code Locked On. And Kyle, I have to say, this is probably one of the better matchups of Week Two here. We have the one and zero Ravens going up against the one and zero Dolphins, and I know. For Baltimore, a big storyline is just how that game went last year. A Week 11 matchup between the Ravens and Dolphins that uh, I think really just stunned a lot of people in talking about just the midseason. You have the Dolphins coming into this game at 2-7. and seven. The Ravens came in at 6-2. and two. The Dolphins, they left no stone unturned with that blitzing style defense. They suffocated Lamar Jackson in that offense. Here in Baltimore, a lot of the storylines are, can the Ravens not get the better of this Dolphins team? Yeah, and uh, what's really interesting about that too is, you know, you you look at how the season unfolded for the Ravens last year coming off of that game, and then for Miami, like defensively, they were giving up 30 points a game through the first eight games of the season in the one and seven start, and then they had the Houston game, and then they play Baltimore in a span of five days, and then the team gets to the end of the season, and they move on from Brian Flores, and uh, one of the big talking points all offseason was, well, was Brian Flores responsible for doing more in the midst of this change in which the Baltimore game was really the one that uh, kind of ignited the fire in the defense or not? And we got a little taste of Miami playing against the New England Patriots in week one. And uh, it certainly was not that same blitz zero empty backfield as far as everybody's just one on one and we're going to get home before you can get the ball out type of approach. So I'm really fascinated to see how much they go back into that well uh, for this game as well, because yeah, it, it was such a, you very rarely see a team stay so firm in a single dynamic of playing one side of the ball or the other and have success with it for 60 minutes the way Miami did last year. Yeah. And I know when talking about that week 10 game, I think I said week 11 earlier, it was November 11th, week 10. I got those crisscross a little bit, but when talking about that game, I mean, the Ravens defense played super well throughout the entire contest. It was really the Dolphins sending all those looks, all those blitzes and the Ravens having no answer for it. I mean, Lamar Jackson in the game, he finished 26 of 43, 238 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The Ravens as a whole average 4.1 yards per carry on the ground. But I think how in this game in particular, week two of 2022, a big storyline for Baltimore is how is this running game going to respond? Because if you saw the Ravens play in 2019 and in 2020, it was a domination on the ground. The Ravens, that historic 2019 offense with Lamar Jackson winning his MVP. 2020, they kind of took a little bit to figure out their identity. 2021, though, they lose J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards before the season. They have to really go with, you know, in 2015, we're talking about an all-pro team of Le'Veon Bell and Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray, but it wasn't 2015. It was 2021. So while the Ravens ranked top 10 in a lot of categories, didn't really look that way. That There were a lot of efficiency issues there. In 2022, the first game against the Jets here, and to the Jets' credit, they have some talented players on that defense. Quinton Williams, one of the better young defensive linemen in this league. The Ravens averaged just three carries on the ground. Their leading rusher 
Kenyon Drake averaged 2.8 yards per carry on the ground. So it's going to be a key storyline for them against this very talented Dolphins defense to be able to establish a ground game and I think make that offense very multidimensional because if they can feed their pass game off of their run game, the run game off of the pass game, that's going to be one of the key storylines for them. Yeah, Ke- Kevin, the follow-up that I have to that, and I, I definitely wanted to ask you about the Ravens rushing game. And obviously um, Lamar Jackson kind of historically has not been super involved in the run game in the opening game of the season, but I was surprised um, to, to just look at the tight end room. And you mentioned that 2019 season and what made that part of what made that offense so special was those three tight ends that they had. One of those guys being Nick Boyle. And, and I know Nick Boyle, uh, his availability in week one, I'd just love to hear from you on Nick Boyle, obviously coming back off a catastrophic knee injury kind of showed up at the end of last season, but really wasn't the player that he had been before. Like, how big of an impact can he potentially play in this game? Or is he still kind of climbing back from, from off-season injuries or, or recovering from the catastrophic knee injury that he had previously suffered? Yeah, the injury to Nick Boyle was pretty catastrophic. You go back to that 2020 season, and it was very, very bad. And was kind of recovering for the entirety of the 2021 year. Did end up coming back, but was on and off. He was on the field, then he would miss a couple games, and he'd come back on. I think this was maybe a situation of just maybe surface Maybe the weather was a factor in this. They want to be super cautious with their guys after what they went through last year. Mm-hmm. Just the absolute litany of injuries with guys like Edwards and Dobbins and Ronnie Stanley and Marcus Peters. They want to make sure that they don't rush players back. I mean, not that they rushed Ronnie Stanley back last year, but I think Stanley came back a bit too early last season, started in that week one game against the Raiders. And it, it didn't help the Ravens run to be out there. It didn't help Stanley to be out there. His performance wasn't great. He ends up opting for a second ankle surgery. He's played one game in the past one and a half years here. So I think for Boyle, they, they want to leave no stone unturned. And I think with the depth that they have at tight end, Nick Boyle is a huge part of the run game. I mean, he opens up a lot with what they do and his ability to move all over the field and just really be a blocker in this offense. And to his credit, he's established himself. I'm not going to say he's the Mark, he's Mark Andrews in terms of pass catching ability, but he has turned into a serviceable pass catcher as well. So I think from a tight end perspective, you could lean a bit more on Mark Andrews and Isaiah likely even Josh Oliver there as well. So I think it's really interesting, but Kyle, I do have a question about Tua Tagovailoa and just how he looked to you in the opening game. It was obviously a very big win for the Dolphins in week one against new England, but what were your overall takeaways from Tua's performance? Yeah, as I watched to in the first game of playing in a new offensive system and one that, you know, quite frankly, showcased uh, more options in the passing game, more schemed quick throws. Obviously, the the explosiveness and the speed that they have in the skill positions really stands out uh, and, and kind of helped to to inflate the raw passing yardage production. I thought the stuff that he did in structure was pretty solid. You know, you saw a strong understanding of my early reads or my primary reads are working through progressions. And if he wasn't feeling or sensing pressure or seeing rushers bear down on him from interior gaps and he was able to throw in rhythm, but you saw really good Paul placement, really good anticipation to throw to spots on the field. But um, where I thought there was some room for crippling mistakes and things that you have to clean up and put polish on for Tua Tagovailoa is those off script and outside of structure type plays where you are forced off your spot by pass rush or an offensive lineman in front of you does lose or the receiver falls down and you got to quickly move your eyes past that progression and get somewhere else on the field. 
those are the areas for Tua where he's making the decision when he's in the grasp of defenders to try to throw the ball away and you're opening yourself up for disaster if you lose grip on the football. And, and, you know, that it's a nice change of pace from what it was last year where the structure was so bad that, like, you didn't even see the wins in structure. It's just, okay, we're going to call RPOs, like, 60% of the time and let him make a binary decision to either give the ball or throw to the flat or throw the slant. And really, that's what the offense boiled down to for the vast majority of the year last year where – now you're seeing a, a, an offensive structure that has a purpose behind why they do things and gives him more options, and he was better in that regard. But now it's, okay, you have to be willing to fight for another down. you got to understand taking the sack sometimes is an okay thing. Sometimes throwing the ball away and just getting to third and long, you've got enough explosiveness now where you, you can live with third and long. You're probably going to have to throw an in-rhythm pass, and it's not going to be super easy, and nobody wants to live on third and eight plus. but letting yourself hold the ball to try to make a play and make a guy miss. And then you're getting tackled. It's like, Oh, well I can't take the sack. And you, you just kind of throw it out there. Those plays have to go away. Uh, because if they don't, eventually you will lose the grip on the ball and you will have a turnover and you will set the other team up for uh, having a, a sudden shift in play and they to potentially take a shot and the momentum uh, of the entire game can turn on its head. So I was pleasantly surprised how well I thought he played on the in-structure plays, and now it's up to the coaching staff to make sure, hey, let's keep it in-structure as much as possible. Yeah, and there's a lot that goes into it as well, and I think having some talented wide receivers over there for two is one of those big factors and just how successful this offense can be. I mean, we talk over here in Baltimore about how electric Lamar Jackson can be, but the electric duo over there with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, I mean, how how'd you like what they were able to do? Because with those two on the field, it's hard to stop. Yeah, that that's the the selling point of what this offense was, is supposed to look like. And you see it with both of those guys and, and how the offensive structure worked where they're running Tyreek Hill in jet motion, then asking him to run yard or run routes that, that hit 18 to 20 yards of depth where he's running deep digs or he's running comebacks. And that's really unique. And, and to have that kind of speed with plus Jalen Waddle running routes and one of them's tearing across the middle of the field or one of them's pressing vertically and the other one's running a hard angled route that complements that to the same side of the field. Uh, you saw against New England it, it, pretty content to play zone and say, hey, we don't have the athletes to match here. And, and I certainly think uh, th there's going to be some good matchup opportunities with Marlon Humphrey in this football game. But I'll be really interested to see how that chess match each team chooses to play that because that is one of the critical identities of the Dolphins defense and as they play or Dolphins offense. And as they play more together, you would think that there will be more chemistry for some of maybe the explosive plays in the passing game that we saw the glimpse of in the preseason game against Philadelphia. But a lot of Dolphins fans were hoping to get able to, to a chance to see against new England. A lot of that came in yards after the catch as compared to a lot of air yards, pushing the ball down the field. Uh, but I mean, you mentioned that the speed here, I mean, th these couple guys are like race cars, right? And perhaps you're looking to get your, uh, your hands and your feet on the gas pedal of uh, a slick new car for a special occasion. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace with Turo. You can book any car you want, wherever you want it from a community, community of local hosts, browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U S Canada and the UK. 
book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip, get a classic or luxury car for a special event, find an affordable economy car if you're on a budget or just need to get from A to B, test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits your everyday life. Many Turo hosts even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms and conditions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. And we are back here. Our second segment of this crossover edition, Locked on Ravens, Locked on Dolphins. Kevin Ostriker still here with Kyle Krabs. And Kyle, we kind of mentioned it going into our second segment here as we left the first segment. But I think one of the key matchups for me is this Dolphins wide receiver group against what this Ravens team has in the secondary. With Marlon Humphrey, they bring in Marcus Williams, who they they really haven't had that deep safety presence Mm -hmm. since Earl Thomas on the field in 2019 for all the stuff that happened off the field with him on the field in 2019 he, he had a very good season for them and so you, you can even go back oh they, they haven't had it since ed reed or something like that but marcus williams gives them a player who can play in single high can roam around the deep part of the field comparing that with kyle hamilton you have chuck clark in there as well who had a phenomenal game against the jets the dolphins with their bevy of pass catchers and also what they can do with some of the running backs out of the backfield tight ends as well if you want to put that in there the pass catches the dolphins have compared to what the ravens have in their secondary and even with what they can do playing some dime putting chuck clark up in the box which they'd like to do they like to get physical with tight ends and running backs. I mean, they have struggled a little bit with over the course of the last couple of seasons here. I mean, one of my key matchups is just how will the Ravens be able to counter the speed of Tyreek Hill and the speed of Jalen Waddle? I think that's something where if the Ravens can at least neutralize, I mean, it's going to be hard to necessarily stop all the production of both those players at once. If they can neutralize both those guys in a way that can help get their offense the ball back, I think that'll be key for Baltimore. Yeah, and I'm super bummed out for you guys that Kyle Fuller, uh, had his season end prematurely. He's a great football player. Um, and, and I certainly think his departure kind of complicates uh, the picture against Miami where, I mean, they're paying Cedric Wilson $7.5 million a season, and, and he was a really good run-after-catch complimentary threat. Uh, but you said it as far as the identity of the passing game and what Miami brings to the table uh, is really rooted in uh, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. And uh, I think your ability to have success in defending these two guys is really predicated on those safeties and linebackers and their discipline in the middle of the field. Uh, Cause Miami is going to run a lot of rollouts. They are going to look to run against main coverage. They're going to look to run these guys with their speed across the middle of the field routes, carrying it across both hashes and dare you to have the speed to stay in their pocket and carry them, uh, especially if they're running short motion or if they go out of stacked alignments where kind of they'll, they'll muddy the picture and make it more difficult for you to get your hands on them early. So uh, you mentioned Marcus Williams, who's an excellent football player and, and Kyle Hamilton, who I absolutely loved coming out of the draft out of Notre Dame. Uh, those guys are, are going to have to be ready to cut routes across the middle of the field in their presence and, and how Miami tries to stack routes on top of that or beyond that. If I'm Baltimore, I'm, I'm daring to a tongue below to make throws outside the numbers. And that's where, when you think about his strengths and weaknesses as a passer, the anticipation's really good. But if you got to ask him to drive a throw outside the numbers beyond 10 yards downfield uh, to the far, the, to the field as compared to the, to the boundary, if he's on the near hash, that's a long throw to make. And, and that's a hard way to make a living for any NFL quarterback uh, consistently throughout the course of a game. So if I'm Baltimore, that's, that's what I'm hopeful for. And then knowing that Miami is probably going to play into shortening that distance for these completions, 
you got to be ready for the crossers across the middle because I, I really think that's where they'll come out in this football game. Uh, and you mentioned Chuck Clark. If he's going to be physical against tight ends, I would expect another quiet game from Mike Gusecki, who had one reception for one yard uh, against the New England Patriots. And just feels like a little bit of a square peg in a round hole as far as his skill set as more of a, a linear vertical receiving tight end versus uh, this this Dolphins offense under Mike McDaniel is really predicated on, hey, we need you to get your hand in the dirt. We need to sell the run. We need to effectively establish the run. Uh, and, and then we will hit our counter punches off of that. But uh, Kevin, I wanted to ask you about this passing game for Lamar Jackson as well. And the Baltimore pa uh, pass catchers on the outsider is a little bit of less of a heralded group. Obviously, you have a first rounder in Rashad Bateman, but uh, Devin Duvernay has had some bright flashes and James Prochet. Uh, these are slippery guys. So I'm just, just kind of curious from your perspective, uh, coming into this matchup where Miami will not be with Byron Jones, he's on uh, injured reserve, he'll miss, or PUP, he'll miss the first four games of the season. Um, how do the strengths of what Baltimore's receivers do give Lamar opportunities? Because we know about Mark Andrews, right? And he's one of the most productive tight ends in the NFL. But these wide receivers where Miami will have a chance to have their choice with Xavier Howard and match one of them one-on-one -on -one in man coverage. Uh, what's the depth of the, the outside trio of wide receivers look like to you and where do they win and how can they challenge Miami's secondary? Yeah. Well, one of the great things about Rashad Bateman in particular is his ability as a route runner is some of the best. I think the Ravens have had in a pretty long time. And there, there are some been some pretty good route runners who have come through Baltimore, but his ability as a quick first step is able to get off of the line has had a couple of issues with drops here and there, over the course of his it's very short NFL career so far as entering his second season. But I think when the Ravens traded away Marquise Brown, they they sent a signal almost that, hey, look, we're going to go back to the not completely bully ball style because I think they want to become a lot more balanced than they were in 2019. But in terms of the passing offense, they they didn't bring in anybody else except for Demarcus Robinson, who was a late the offseason acquisition who was cut by the Raiders just, I think, one week or a couple weeks before he was brought into the Ravens. So Bateman is your de facto number one guy. And so what you have from him, is and something I liked, was the fact that the Ravens were able to utilize him deep and he was able to utilize his speed to get behind defenders. Now he is not this like four two forty yard guy, but he does have deceptive speed and the Ravens are looking for ways to replace Marquise Brown and the speed element that he brought and just the threat that he was, you know, defenses had to respect the, the speed of Marquise Brown. They had to put players out there who could, counter that and so we saw it multiple times with Rashad Bateman he ends up he missed a long touchdown earlier with Lamar Jackson too couldn't quite hook up but then a 55 yard bomb from Jackson a perfectly placed throw you saw Devin Duvernay too who had multiple touchdowns of 15 plus yards I mean he's somebody who if I had to pick one guy before the season to say he's going to be the, the main guy to at least try to replace the speed of Marquise Brown it would be Devin Duvernay and I think Baltimore their offense got off to a pretty sluggish start in the first half of that Jets game. There were a lot of short pass attempts. They weren't really pushing the ball down the field. And that that made the Jets say, hey, look, if you're not going to beat us with your passing game, we're going to stack the box. And it made the run game ineffective. So at the end of the day, Baltimore is able to push the ball down the field. And I think that's what they want to do. They want to take deep shots down the field with their receivers. You mentioned James Prochet. He didn't get on the field a lot. He was dealing with a, with a groin injury. He was limited in practice on Wednesday. So we'll see how much he's able to get out there and what he's able to do. But the Ravens, they put the Marcus Robinson out there. He's like, he's the veteran in that room. The Ravens, 
their oldest wide receiver is the Marcus Robinson. He's 27 years old. So it's not like they have that grizzled 31 year old, 10 year veteran guy. They're rolling with a bunch of third year guys, a bunch of second year guys. I'm not going up against the secondary that has Xavier Howard and Javon Holland, who has been incredible over his time in Miami. The Dolphins have so many pieces that the Ravens have to account for that. You're right. I mean, look, everybody knows that what Mark Andrews is. This offense, I think when you're talking about a number one pass catcher, it is Mark Andrews, but a number one receiver, it is Rashad Bateman. If you take away Bateman's 55 yard touchdown, he finished that chess game with one reception for four yards. I think him and Sauce Gardner matched up well for the entire game. Bateman did get the better of the Jets defense on that one play but I think what you're going to see is Baltimore try to push the ball down the field a little bit and hopefully use their play action game with hopefully will be a more successful run game to open up those opportunities we have uh, some score predictions coming up here in just a minute but before we get there I'm going to tell you all about our friends over at bet online your number one source for all your pro and college betting needs and sports information this season find all the latest sports developments game matchups news podcasts including Week two NFL action. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information and is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports, including Major League Baseball, mixed martial arts, boxing, and even golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. We are back here wrapping up this crossover edition of Locked on Ravens and Locked on Dolphins. Kevin Allshaker still here with Kyle Krabs. And, and Kyle, this is a game that I think will be one of the better ones this week. I think we look at the mm -hmm. Ravens, look at the Dolphins, two teams that are very talented, both on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. And so that it can kind of go weird with score predictions in terms of just where people view it. Is this, is this going to be a high scoring game? You know, is it going to be a game that defense is dominant? I will say last season, this game was 22 to 10 Dolphins. There was a, a defensive score by Miami that you saw. So it, it was a game that I would say was dominated by the defenses. Do you think this is another repeat of that? Yeah, I I look at the talent that's available for both defenses in the front, and I think that's a, a pretty good advantage for both sides of the ball. I know having uh, Ronnie Stanley back is is helpful for Baltimore in this matchup, and Teron Armstead is uh, apparently status up in the air. I'd be very surprised. I, I know he gets a lot of uh, veteran maintenance days. Miami's pretty dialed in on their guys that, that do and don't need practice to try to oh, reduce the wear and tear and, and hopefully keep them ready to play. But if, if those two left tackles play in this game, I think it, it, it gives you some opportunities to have some really strong wins, but I do ultimately think the defensive talent for both teams uh, holds a, a nice edge over both offenses and it's who wins the turnover battle who can create the most explosive plays. And you talked about, you know, Baltimore looking to take shots down the field with play action passing Miami, probably going to be a little bit more dependent on misdirection and the actual explosive speed that they have on the outside. So I, I think the pathway to success for both teams really does lie in on the line of scrimmage. And I think both defenses have, have that opportunity and who's going to make a couple plays. I think this is one of those games where you're going to see two or three bounces of the ball is going to dictate who ends up coming out of this game with a victory. I think it's going to be pretty closely contested. I agree with you. And I think for both sides, it's a matter of how do they respond to the areas where I think both teams 
might be looking to capitalize on under Miami with the ability that they showed in last year's game to blitz Lamar Jackson, to blitz this offense and really cause some trouble. I mean, if you're an offense and you're seeing all these guys up at the line and everybody's coming, part of the reason or part of the way that you can counter that is with the short passing game. You know, screen passes being well executed, kind of extending the run game a little bit with some screen passes, which I mean, Baltimore has had a lot of trouble with screen passes over the last couple of seasons. We saw a successful screen against the Jets that the Ravens ran. and Everybody was like, oh, it's a successful screen. Like, yeah. what, what is what's happening here? It's been it's been a very it's been a point of contention for a couple of years. So to see that happening, look, if you have six, seven guys running at you. You can put blockers in space against smaller defensive backs, whoever it may be out there, and you can run screen passes. You can get the short game going, and that will, if you're Baltimore, have the Dolphins respect that. If, if you're the Dolphins, are you able to put Baltimore in some second and long situations, kind of force their hand a little bit? It's so much easier for an offensive Kyle, and I know you know this, to get into second and short situations, and you have so many other options. If you're put into a second and 10, second and 11, there are so many different options. So I agree, it, it does probably come down to a bounce of the ball or two here because of just how much talent this team or both teams honestly do have but from a final score perspective do you have is this a one possession game to you is it coming down to the wire is it is it on the leg of a a Justin Tucker here are you looking at that way or how do you see this game going well I'm I'm glad you mentioned special teams because uh, both of these kickers you you feel like you pass the 40 yard line you've got a pretty good chance to to get points so when I think about this game, I think Lamar Jackson is too dynamic and explosive. Mark Andrews is, is too good for you to expect, well, they're not going to move the ball, right? Like this isn't going to be a game where you get to the end and one of, and Baltimore has 210 yards of offense. So your, your hope is, okay, force kicks, right? So I when I do that tally on both sides, as both of these offenses move the ball and they get down into the red zone, I think the tightness that's going to be ex- really brought in when the field shortens will lead to both Justin Tucker and Jason Sanders playing prominent roles in this matchup, which has me inclined to say, you know, we'll probably have three or four scoring possessions for both teams, but who can convert touchdowns versus field goals? So, uh, I am a Dolphins podcast, so I will pick the Dolphins to win a closely contested game. But I, I would say this, this is potentially like. 20 to 17 is the kind the kind of final score. And it's really just who gets that extra touchdown versus a field goal type dynamic. But uh, yeah, I'm going to put the Homer hat on here respectfully and, uh, and wear it uh, for the dolphins to hopefully uh, avoid Baltimore getting revenge for the apparently infamous cover cover zero game. Yes. A very, a very infamous game over here in Baltimore. Definitely Kyle. I'm going to also, I'm going to put the Homer hat on myself. I wouldn't expect anything less. I I think again, we're we're on the same wavelength in terms of probably coming down to a kick or two with a, with a ball bounce here or there. I have it as 23, 21 Baltimore. I mean, again, it's one of these games where both teams you have so much time. I mean, secondary wise, first of all, you, you just look there. How can Lamar Jackson and Tua Tagovailoa be able to push the ball down the field if they can do that? I think for Baltimore is the ability, hopefully, for them to be able to counter the cover zero blitzes when they do come. Right? We're, we're not sure what the Dolphins' game plan is going to be 100 percent here, but based off of last year, if it is anything similar, and I know there there's a lot of changes for, for both teams from what happened last season. I think that the Ravens, they are better prepared. The Ravens have said they've lo- they've watched a lot of film in that game. They, they have prepared themselves for 
this game with Baltimore continuing their AFC East tour that they will play all four AFC East teams in the first four weeks of the season here. You have the Jets first, Dolphins, Patriots, Bills. I think it's important for them to get this win. I'm not calling a game in week two a must win, but you could look in December and say, wow, the Ravens really should have won that game. And if they did, they'd be in a better situation. So for me, I think it is a 23 to 21 Baltimore victory just based off of the, I'll say the Justin Tucker effect. I think that is what it will come down to because we've seen it so many times where Justin Tucker just becomes automatic. And so I'm going with Justin Tucker over Jason Sanders personally. But again, this is a game that really could go either way. And, and to your point, uh, the importance of this game with how we perceive the AFC to be hotly contested. And, and we've seen teams with winning records uh, in each of the last two seasons. And I know firsthand because Miami was 10 and six and then nine and eight and missed the playoffs both times. Uh, you'll get to the end of the road and conference losses can loom large uh, in hotly contested conference and wild card races. And uh, obviously both of these teams have aspirations for winning their respective divisions, which would, uh, throw those concerns on ice. But if you find yourself in that spot, this is the kind of swing game uh, that can push you one way or the other. So absolutely high stakes in week two in Baltimore between the Dolphins and the Ravens. Yeah, and I think for a game like this, it, it could come down to maybe Baltimore and Miami for a wild card spot or seeding wise of Baltimore's leading the mm -hmm. AFC North or Miami's in, in you know contention for the AFC East title. Those conference losses, and, and you mentioned it, Kyle, just how many moves were made this offseason. I mean, the Dolphins, one of those, one of those players in the AFC who made a move for Tyreek Hill and also just I think reshaped a roster that already had a ton of talent on it. Wasn't complete teardown, obviously, but they made moves to make sure that they were in contention in a talented AFC. I mean, the, if you want to talk about AFC West in particular, you could have four playoff teams from that division alone. So I think games like this are super important overall. But I think regardless of who does win and who does lose, both teams will be in pretty good shape because of just the talent they have overall. But that's all we have for you here today on Locked on Ravens and Locked on Dolphins. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me here. It was a blast. And, and regardless of what happens, I think we're in store for, for a pretty good game here. Yeah, you know, win, lose, or hopefully not a draw. I hate ties. But uh, here's hoping for a good game. Here's hoping for continued health for both teams. And, uh, Kevin, maybe we'll get to do this again again this season. Maybe, say, January. It would be nice, I'm just saying. So yeah. it was great talking with you and great for uh, very appreciative for everybody who tuned in as well. Uh, to this crossover Thursday edition between Locked on Ravens and Locked on Dolphins. Thanks for listening.